Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast. Each week you'll find inspirational, motivational interviews with some of the world's best language learners, industry experts, all trying to help you to learn foreign languages better, faster, and more efficiently. And here we go. If you're looking for a language teacher to enhance your language learning, then I highly recommend italki. Italki is the world's biggest tutoring platform and you can find thousands of teachers and tutors at very reasonable prices. Get a free lesson after completing your first lesson by going to languageteacher.co. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 158 of the Actual Fluency podcast. I'm happy to bring you this episode with Ben from iltspodcast.com. So a fellow podcaster. In this episode we get into how to improve your English specifically with the IELTS exam in mind. So that's a very specific exam that is an international test of your English ability. And some people use it for getting new jobs or proving that their English is good enough to study in an English uh, degree. So very specific tips on how to pass the exams, but all the advice actually applies to improving your English in general. So definitely stay tuned and listen to what Ben has to share with you today. Other than that, I just want to say thank you so much for checking out the Polyglot Cruise. We're setting sail next April. So if you want to come with a week for a week-long luxury holiday in the company of some amazing polyglots, I'll be there too. And we'll do some presentations on how you can stay consistent in language learning, as well as some business-related presentations on how you can build a side income with languages or even a full-time if you want through either teaching or some of the other ways that that can be done. So check out polygarcruise.com. Tickets are still available. And uh, like I said, we're going in April. But until then, enjoy the episode with Ben. And I'll see you in the next one. <laughs> All right. Well, Ben, welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast. Uh, pleased to be here, Chris. It's great, uh, great chatting with you. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. So before we get into today's topic of uh, English and, and the IELTS, um, do you want to give the listeners just a little background of yourself, where you're from and where you live today? Yeah, of course. Um, well, I'm from a very uh, glamorous part of England called Huddersfield in Yorkshire. Um, I no longer have the Yorkshire accent. I lost that a while ago. Um, some vowels and some sounds do still sound as though they've come directly from Huddersfield. But overall, I think it's it's quite rounded and easier to understand nowadays, my accent. Um, but yeah, so I was originally from the, the Huddersfield and then I've been traveling quite a bit and ended up in Spain because of Erasmus, like the European Student Exchange Program. That's probably going to be terminated soon because of Brexit. But anyway, <laughs> it was good while it lasted. Um, so I did Erasmus and um, did a year in Spain and then decided to stay and learn Spanish. And after that, I thought I'm going to just stick around in Spain because I quite enjoyed it. I quite liked the culture, um, enjoyed the weather. And I just felt really settled there. And I wanted to improve my Spanish as well. And so that's how I got into teaching English. And at first I was doing, I was teaching uh, younger students and then um, business students and then university students until I stumbled across, I guess you could say my calling, which was the IELTS. Um, 
And I just found that I really enjoyed preparing students for the IELTS exam much more than the other areas of teaching. So, yeah, that's a very big overview, sort of like um, a very brief overview as well of, of myself. Fantastic. Uh, lots to dive into there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, what were you studying? Was it any language or English related? In Well, um, before studying university, I went um, abroad to Australia for a year. And there I was doing the typical sort of like um, traveler jobs. And I realized like that, okay, I need a university education. And like most 18, 19 year olds, I was pretty lost and I didn't really know what to do. So I chose international business. And and it was just like, okay, I need to do something. (laughs) And also, I think, yeah, another reason, I'm not proud to admit it, but this is like the mindset I had back then. And it's just like, okay, I'm going to avoid work for another four years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's called university. Right. You know? (laughs) So, um, yeah, and I thought uh, doing business studies would be quite um, helpful and be quite sort of like universal so that's why I kind of just fell into that but at the end of the year I had the opportunity to do near the end of the course I had the opportunity to learn a language and I was like wow I'll be the first person in my family to learn a language if I do this so I was like yeah I'll, I'll take it and so yeah I ended up uh, in Spain Right. <laughs> How did you get the the job with the with the kids? Was that just like a, a language school, or, or how did you finish that? <laughs> I can I remember so clearly the first day teaching the the, the kids because the, the 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 lady the like supervisor she literally just threw a textbook at me and then she said, "Okay, you're going to be teaching in this place at three p.m. on Thursday." So I was like, "All right." And then I turned up there and all the kids were like about three or four year olds. And I was like dressed. <laughs> yeah. And I was totally, I, I was a bit unsure what to expect. And so, you know, it's better to be overdressed than underdressed. So it was like, I don't know, about 35 degrees outside. It was absolutely roasting like it usually is in Spain. And so I had like long black trousers on and a shirt. And then I had to go and teach these demonic four or five year olds <laughs> who had no idea of the concept of like discipline or respect it was just like rah, rah, you know <laughs> but uh, but fortunately um i also i had quite a bit of experience with my cousins you know and also demonic <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, i quite like rowdy cousins you know and we used to play a lot when we were younger and I kind of sort of like uh, just relied on that experience. So it was sort of like being active and just keeping their interest and, you know, and just trying to be sort of as active as possible and doing my best um, sort of like teaching the language. So unfortunately, I had pretty good control of Spanish. So I would talk in English. They wouldn't have a clue what I was saying. You just switch off and go back to the activities. But then I started saying it in Spanish and I could say it louder, and I could, um, yeah, and eventually I learned the death stare, which just, (laughs) (laughs) 
which pretty much got them into got the sort of like paying attention you know and got the disciplined rather than shouting and stuff like that so um that's how i kind of fell into that to be honest with you interesting uh, yeah yeah and it kind of just stemmed from it kind of flowed from there the next teaching jobs and stuff how long did you did you stick with teaching the kids um I'd say it's about a good, like, two months. It was the duration of the contract, you know. And I I found, like, that the textbook was useless. And also, yeah, they gave me this ridiculously stupid puppet that was like a witch. Yeah, it was absolutely, it was so stupid. It was this stupid um, puppet that I had to put on my hand and it, and it was one of those moments where I was looking at the puppet and I was like, how did I get in this situation, you know? How did I get here? Um, but I kind of, like, used it for two for two classes, and then I was like, ah, oh, this is stupid. And I remember actually one curious kid coming up and lifting up the skirt of the puppet, and I was like, don't do that. Don't do that to Dizzy. Don't do that to Dizzy the Witch, you know? But... Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I did it for like two months and towards the, yeah, from the middle and towards the end, I was quite enjoying it because I knew what I was doing and I came in there prepared and it's like the old saying says like preparedness makes us powerful, but immediately makes us fat. I think it was, I think that's from a, a prodigy CD in like cover, but it's, uh, <laughs> but it's, a, it, it's, it was a good phrase you know like if i went in there prepared and i had a list of activities and backup activities as well just in case my um planned activities didn't work um i've got these backup ones i could make the class entertaining i could keep it active and i could keep it sort of like fast paced so they weren't switching off you know and yeah it was and I think when she, once you get traction and once you start seeing results, it's, it's you know, like language learning, it gets insanely more motivating and you just want to keep progressing and progressing. Yeah. Definitely. Well, that's interesting. And then finally you got to teach some, uh, some slightly more uh, older, <laughs> slightly older students. <laughs> but um, before we get to some of the, the, the more English stuff, so... There are a few different tests in English, I know. Uh, actually, there's probably quite a few of them uh, that I don't know as well. But if, like, w- which ones would people have heard of if they're looking for? I, I assume these tests, the, the main purpose is to either for co- career advancement or maybe specific education uh, requirements if you're going to study in English. Or can you just run us through some of the, 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 the tests that are out there and that people might have heard of? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's the TOEFL, which is the, the big one in the US. And it's also quite big in Latin America because a lot of people in Latin America want to go to the US or study there or work there. And so in the US, they usually insist on a TOEFL certificate and a TOEFL score. Um, but also the IELTS is another one, and that's making inroads into the US market. So it's kind of growing in popularity as more US universities start adopting the IELTS. And um, IELTS stands for International English Language Testing System. Mm. It's been around for Ages. It used to be called the Davis Test, but it got changed. Uh, they changed it to IELTS, which is 
you know, a little bit more marketable, a little bit more understandable. And this came from originally Australia, and uh, then the British Council got involved. And this one is the the leading test internationally, I think, Uh, but it's definitely the leading one in the the former Commonwealth countries like Australia, Canada, uh, UK, Ireland. So it's the biggest one for those countries, definitely. And the students will take the IELTS exam to show their level of English. So maybe a, I don't know, a doctor from Brazil who wants to start practicing in the UK, they'll probably be asked to take the IELTS test to show that they can communicate effectively uh, the IELTS exam or the PLAB exam, which is more for the medical sector. But they'll definitely be asked to take the IELTS one. And also... Um, maybe students from I don't know China, India, or non-native non-English speaking countries, if they want to start studying in the UK, Australia, or Canada, they'll want to they'll need to take the IELTS exam just to show that they'll be able to handle the lectures, the courses in English once they get to the university in the target country. And also, you can take the IELTS for immigration purposes. And I know in Canada, if you've got a higher IELTS score. That's trans and in Australia actually, it's trans. It, it, it corresponds to more points in your visa application. So there's roughly like three types of IELTS test takers, and then just there's a, a few other exams. There's the Pearson Test of English, which is a relatively new one, um, but not that many places take it because not that many institutions insist on it. Um, and then there's the Cambridge exams, and the Cambridge Cambridge University also runs the what's it called the BTEC exams, I think it's called, and those are sort of like similar to the Cambridge First Certificate, um, but with the um, but with more sort of like a business focus, business vocabulary. Right. Uh, yeah, so there's quite a big um, range of English exams. Right. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a a mess, but I guess that people who need it know which one they need. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they'll know the the target score and how many points it converts to and everything like that. Yeah. Right. Again, and are some of them transferable. So if you take the IELTS, can you go to America and transfer it to a TOEFL score in some way? Or? I don't think so. No, no, probably not because they're like separate companies and they're, they are kind of like competing within each other. I think a lot of students would absolutely love that, you know. <laughs> These test centers, they are, they're a professional business, you know. They, how much is it to take a test is probably not the cheapest either. Yeah, it's, I think, uh, between 200 and 300 US dollars, depending where you are and what type of exam you're doing. Like the IELTS recently launched IELTS on computer, so instead of pen and paper, you're doing everything on computer and they charge an extra hundred dollars for, for that for that privilege. For the convenience. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. For the convenience of getting your paper marked quicker. Yeah. It's um, it's definitely a business, yeah. Yeah. So now that we have all the exams mapped out, let's uh, let's talk about the and I, I assume this is similar for all the tests. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you know all of them in detail, but I'm sure they all test you on kind of the four areas of, of language, like speed, speaking, writing, reading, and listening, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So what's the, if 
when you have like uh, someone who wants to do well in the exam or maybe even do better, what's, what do you think is the most important one to focus on for the sort of average? Um, I think the, the area that the students have most difficulty with um, seems to be the writing mm. because with the listening and the reading, um, like a lot of practice tests can bring you up to speed. I it's quite it's quite straightforward to to progress and to improve um, with those. There are some specific strategies, um, but it's 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 relatively straightforward. Um, but with writing and, and also with the the speaking, I mean, the students also um, struggle with the speaking, um, but it, it's quicker to improve the speaking. I think uh, the writing though um, is sort of like a whole new beast because we're not talking about normal writing in another language i.e english uh, which is quite difficult you you probably know yourself like writing in another language is quite challenging as it is but the ielts exam it asks you to write in academic english oh wow yeah yeah so it's sort of like a completely and i when i was correcting essays i don't do it anymore we've got a team correcting essays but I would consistently see students writing the same way as they'd speak. So they'd be writing with like contractions and they'll be like, yes, um, I don't know. And just using expressions they would in, in their spoken English. So they might put something like, I don't know, um, jail time is totally not right. <laughs> it's it's so horrible what they do to the student, you know, what they do to prisoners and, you, you know, just yeah. like a casual conversation. And it takes a lot to transform your writing. One, not only to get it grammatically um, to a high standard, but also to start writing in an academic style, which for a lot of students, they've never seen before. They've never, they've hardly ever encountered it, you know, and this this is why students struggle with writing the most. Yeah. That sounds like a top tip right there, that if you're thinking about taking the ads, uh, try to research a bit on how to write in academic. Because uh, mm -hmm. um, people might be really good at writing, but if they've never written academically or don't even know what that means, then mm -hmm. they could probably still get a terrible grade. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, and I said on uh, I said on another interview with a, I think uh, our mutual friend we have, Mr. Ollie Richards, but <laughs> we were saying we were talking about how even native English speakers uh, can fail this test. Well, yeah. it's not it, well, not exactly fail, but they can get low scores just because they they're not aware of how to coherently structure a paragraph. You know, yeah. and they're just not aware of sort of like academic writing because they haven't been writing for a long time. And when they were, it was just maybe the shopping list and, you know, or just, I don't know, some more casual writing. But yeah, students definitely need to sort of like identify the, the weak spots and then focus in on those. Work on that and, and that it is a test. So you can definitely find... Uh, you know, like you said before, practice tests, and you, there's definitely going to be lots of supportive materials. And so it's not like you're going to go into a completely unknown or how the format is going to be or what kind of questions you're going to be asked, you know. 
So oh, yeah, yeah. This time on that is definitely helpful. Yeah, yeah. But I, what I find a lot um, is that there's probably too many, too much material out there. And what students will do is kind of like binge on like these, I don't know, 20 different YouTube videos on how to write a perfect essay, you know? <laughs> and then kind of like um, consider that as, as preparing for the exam. I'm like, oh, I'm going to research how to write a perfect essay. Yeah. But the thing is, um, and I'm guilty of doing this as well when I dive into a new subject that I want to learn about. But the thing is with the essay, there's like 20 different um, videos out there. The student will watch them all, get super confused and like not really progress forward. You know, so it's kind of like a, can be a challenge as well, finding the right material and then choosing the right material. Um, so, yeah, I, I always kind of suggest to students to go to IELTS.org where, you know, they can find out like from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yeah. The, the official requirements, what you need, and basically just cut out well, reduce the volume of the noise out there and just, you know, get it direct from the official organization. That makes a lot of sense. And and I suppose there's no kind of replacement for if you want to get better at writing, then you need to write <laughs> a fair bit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just today, actually, I, I told a student, he was asking me you know, um, online, like, uh, oh, how can I improve my writing? And I was like, okay. Like if you if you're totally new to this, you can find um, at my site ielspodcast.com like tons of model sample essays, and copy them out pen and paper. You know, get a feel for essay writing, get a feel for the structure. Maybe learn some new um, grammar forms, learn some new vocabulary. Copy and copy them out, and then when you're feeling a bit uh, more confident, then start writing essays and you can send them to us and we'll give you some feedback. And from my experience, that's been like the fastest way to, to improve, you know, getting that feedback and yeah, taking action, writing the essays and getting feedback. Yeah. But sometimes people, I think they overthink it a bit. And mm. Research mission and they, they watch all the clips, they read all the posts and they mm. get all the advice. But at the end of the day, they forgot to actually, do some writing. I mean, it's the same with all the other elements. I assume that practice makes perfect. And if you don't actually try and produce something, you don't know where your problems are and you want to get some feedback on that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can't see this, but I was nodding my head all the way through that. Like there's this, um, cause I think it's just cause we're just swimming, we're drowning, you're drowning in information mm. and it's not helping uh, especially if um, somebody's got the an, an analytical brain and kind of overthink it, overthink it, and just end up confused, or as we say, you know, analysis paralysis. Yeah, uh, it's exactly what you say. Uh, the the results come from taking action and getting the feedback, not sort of like strategizing and overthinking and planning and watching, binging on YouTube. It's it's action that usually some yeah and and i would argue that action action is just better anyway because you'll find out from the action where you need to go 
next. But if you never really get started or you just do a little bit, then you never really, there's no way to progress from there because you don't, you don't have enough data points. Mm-hmm. It's a bit mm-hmm. like learning anything really. If you can research it all day, but mm-hmm. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that just doing it, putting it into action and then maybe it's not as well thought out or anything, but just getting something done is even mm-hmm. than just being stuck in that analysis paralysis loop like you were talking about. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I totally agree with you there. And I think we're all guilty of this, but I think our um, sort of like true growth comes when we recognize that what we're doing isn't, going to improve the situation and two we sort of like take action but also sort of like take action on a consistent basis like i'll give you an example i'm reading a book now on how to improve my memory and more than once actually i listened to it on uh, it's just an audio book but more than once i was thinking oh, i'll just carry on listening to the next few chapters this is quite entertaining and what really i should have been doing is stopping the recording and doing the exercises to improve my memory, you know? <laughs> not, not Because at the end of the day, we need to sort of like move away. Okay, this is, it's entertaining, yeah. But, and I do want what the book, what, the, what it says on the can, you know? I do want sort of like these benefits that come with buying the book. But unless I take action, I'm not going to get them. So, yeah, I had to really just stop listening and say okay i'm not listening to any of my chapters it's pointless until i do the homework that the actual recording says i should do right so if if you struggle with writing write more get feedback try to understand the assignment better as well so look at the what kind of writing are they looking for what kind Mm -hmm. of um i don't know if there's any formatting or anything but just what is the kind of what's the assignment basically because you don't want to you want, don't want to send like a, a business letter style writing to if, if the assignment was supposed to, you know, as you would talk to a friend <laughs> for this test, you know, you don't want to sound like you're just speaking normally if, if it is an academic style they require. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you go to just Google and you can put like IELTS official, IELTS.org official criteria PDF writing, and you can find out like a full breakdown on how your essay is going to be marked. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of like a roadmap. So you you know that your essay, if you want to get a band seven or higher, you know, it's got to be cohesive and coherent. There's got to be some um, strong lexical resource there, which means like using some special vocabulary for for that topic. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. You need to find out what is being asked of, of you and what you actually need, and then start taking action, yeah. getting the feedback, and uh, yeah, and start improving. We'll just take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, italki, but we'll be right back. On this podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of language learners, some of the world's greatest polyglots and industry experts. And one thing they all agree on is the value of one-to-one tutoring lessons. And for this, I highly recommend italki. They have thousands of teachers in all price ranges, and they even have certified teachers who have taken diplomas or have degrees in the language you're learning. So whether you're just brushing up on your Italian ahead of a trip to Rome, or you want to master Russian to take the 
an exam, or whatever your goals are in languages, Italki has a tutor suitable for you. And compared to private tutoring offline, it's really affordable. You can find informal tutors down to five dollars an hour, or and you can have trial lessons for even less. So if you want to master a language uh, from the comfort of your own home, and you even get a ten dollar credit when you complete your first lesson, go to languageteacher.co and check out Italki. It might be the best thing you do for your language learning this year. So, what is the second uh, hardest thing for most students? Um, well, the writing is quite a beast, to be honest. There's like there's the task one and the task two, and there's also IELTS academic and IELTS general. And I'll just briefly say for task two, it's broadly the same. You have to write this essay. Maybe it's about pollution. Maybe it's about crime. Maybe it's about education. And then for task two academic, you have to write about a graph. And then for task one general, um, you have to write a letter, and it can be like a letter to a, a yeah, a letter to a friend, a job application letter, a letter of complaint. Uh, it can be one of those. And this is where, as you just mentioned, the language you use has to be appropriate. You know, so we can't start your letter of complaint like "Hi, mate." <laughs> <laughs> Long time no see. Um, <laughs> heard your dog the other night. Sounds like a beaut, but can you please keep it quiet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, there's the register that comes along with like writing the formal letter of complaints. So, you know, it's um, the, the appropriate vocabulary. But anyway, moving on to your, your question, sort of like the second largest difficulty or the second biggest difficulty students might encounter I would probably say the speaking, mm -hmm. yeah? And the, this comes down um, to sort of like not only do we have to have some decent language skills to show the examiner we can communicate, but we also need some a strong suite of exam skills. So we need to – I'll just give you an overview on how the IELTS speaking is structured. So we have the – Part one, which is sort of like a just general chit chat questions, but we have to treat it like a job interview. So we're not going to go in there like slouched uh, and casual. We're going to go in there like a job interview, you know, back straight, pleasant attitude, and quite professional, um, but also like and quite confident as well. And that's part one, and they'll just ask you some general questions to help you get feel at ease to relax you sort of like oh why are you taking IELTS where you're from um tell me about your hometown you know just just general easier stuff like that and then there's part two where you get to choose uh, one of three cue cards and on the cue cards it's basically a question prompt with three points so it might be like I don't know tell um share an experience share a foreign holiday that you went on um share where you went why you went there, who you went with, and why you enjoyed it, or something like that, yeah? And then you'll have to talk for about two minutes about that topic on the card. And talking for two minutes nonstop is something that we don't really encounter in everyday life, you know? I think we've all got a friend who can talk for ten, two minutes nonstop. <laughs> But most people find it difficult to speak for two minutes nonstop, you know? Yeah. And 
and especially in a sort of like a formal situation with somebody that you've never seen before and about a topic that you don't know that you've never prepared for before and this is like the exam skills element and this is sort of like where students kind of struggle because they get nervous and their true ability sometimes isn't really represented in the exam you know so it can be quite tricky for students and quite frustrating as well and then there's part three where the examiner is going to ask you more questions about the previous topic but the questions are going to be more abstract they're going to not only ask you your opinion but maybe about i don't know society's viewpoint or the general viewpoint and maybe you'll have similar questions asked uh, repeatedly so just really testing and probing your skill with the English language and a lot of students can find this quite frustrating you know and um, and what the examiner really kind of wants to explore and determine is if you could say sort of like similar concepts but with different language and your ability to explain abstract concepts and complex ideas and uh, yeah, so this is what students can find quite uh, challenging. So this is, like we said before, like familiarity with the exam and maybe the few tips that you can get. Uh, there's plenty of tips out there. We've got a load on our website as well. But, um, but getting familiar and also just getting practice in exam conditions is sort of like the best way to to deal with this, to get familiar with it and get experience with it. Right. So in terms of speaking, I can definitely see why that would be problematic for, for some, especially if you live in a country that doesn't have English as a, as a main language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so apart from getting more practice, so that's like you know, online lessons maybe or maybe going to meetups where the language meetups with the practice. Are there anything mm. that people can do to perform better in this section of this? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, also it depends on the situation of the student, you know, if they've got, if they're quite wealthy, then I'd invest in a teacher uh, daily, you know, an hour every day or something like that. Um, it doesn't have to break the bank. You know, you can find um, some quite economical teachers, uh, maybe from the Philippines. Um, but also, you really got to get it clear in your mind that it's that it's not a cost. It's kind of like an investment because um, if not, it's going to be an investment in your language skills. But it's also if you, when you pass the exam, um, especially the IELTS exam, it's just going to open up so many doors. You know, and the return on your investment, the ROI on that investment, investing in yourself is going to be is going to be much better than buying some cryptocurrencies, for example. To <laughs> be yeah. that expensive, you go on something like iTalk and, and do it over Skype. You can get English lessons for you know maybe five, ten US dollars an hour from people who are maybe students or kind of they're not teachers per se, but mm. that kind of natural. <laughs> practice of just the chit chat section maybe you can do like questions and answers mm-hmm. and practice those to feel more more comfortable uh, absolutely do like mock exams with with a with a, a tutor yes. like that 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what I was going to suggest, like doing mock exams, getting used to the format. Um, and if if uh, the listeners are listening here, uh, so if the listeners are listening, <laughs> <laughs> no, if the listeners are, <laughs> hopefully, <Still yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, if the listeners are considering doing this, uh, and one thing that I always suggest to, to students is that, you know, kind of almost suggest that take control of the class and just say, look, I want to work on accuracy for the next 20 minutes. So I want you to interrupt me or write down every single time I make an error. And then we're going to keep on practicing these until we get error free for this topic or for this speech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, and then in the next 20 minutes, we're going to practice fluency. So I don't want any interruptions, you know, I want you just to sort of like mark down maybe the errors, but I don't want interruptions because I'm just working on fluency now. And I think just equipped with these, this small piece of knowledge, you can get, you can get more out of your class because the, the teacher's going to know, you know, what you want and you can really sort of like work on improving your weak spots. So if your weak spots fluency, then, um, you don't want the examiner interrupting you every two seconds for something that's wrong. You want the examiner to be, uh, you want your teacher to be silent. Whereas if you're, if you're quite fluent, but you're making errors every three words, then you want the teacher to be interrupting you or to be marking down your, you know, to be marking down your errors. So I think that's, um, will probably help you get the most out of your, of your class and that's not just for english it's for learning any language with the tutor but even if a tutor is out of bounds and sort of they, if it's too expensive for you or you just don't have access to the tu- to a tutor what i suggest to students is there's a few different techniques you can mimic um where you just um yeah you just listen to a recording and then repeat it uh and try and aim for the same intonation, the same accent. Um, that's really a powerful way to improve and cost effective, but it comes back to discipline and consistency in doing that. Another good way, um, one student told me, is to start speaking aloud all the time. You know, In fact, I had one Spanish friend, Pedro, who used to wheel his grandma around the park talking to her in English. And she had no idea what he was saying. They just kept on. <laughs> exactly. I don't think he was talking with her. He was talking at her. Poor lady. But <laughs> she was just happy to be spending time with her grandson. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but he, he just needed to get the speaking practice, you know. And he didn't care if he seemed like a bit of a, an, a, loon, a loon in the park. But, you know, he's just getting that practice and building up the fluency. And, yeah, I think there's lots of different ways. And it kind of goes back to what we touched on before. You've got to kind of find out which method works for you best, you know? Right. And because maybe mimicking doesn't work. Maybe transcribing is your work, is, is the best way you can improve your vocabulary. Or maybe you find speaking uh, is the best way. And also there's you know, recording yourself, listening back to it and spotting your errors. I think there's quite a, a wide range, but it ultimately comes down to like how much money you're going to invest, how much time do you have? And 
um, what works best for you as well. Yeah, and one thing I was wondering is, do you get judged on like uh, pronunciation accuracy, like uh, accent, that kind of stuff, or is it purely the content of what you're saying, as long as it's uh, you know understandable? Um, you get assessed on on your fluency, on your grammatical accuracy, and the the, the coherence as well. But they're not going to mark you down if if you've got I don't know, a Canadian accent. Maybe they'll mark you down if you've got a Liverpoolian accent. <laughs> they, sh- they should probably. <laughs> exactly. No, uh, thank you. You know, if you're learning English and you spend a lot of time with listening textbooks or practice exams, you might get a very good level in English, but you might have a really strong accent from your from your home country, like uh, from India or China or wherever you're learning from. I'm mm. wondering, is that part of the assessment? Um, I don't think you'll get my you won't get marked down on your accent, but you will get marked down if it is a hindering the comprehension of the listener. You know? Hard to understand. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. So it doesn't go against you as long as you just... Yeah, as long as you're understood, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. It's quite it's quite uh, practical, pragmatic in that, in that, in that sense. Um, but what I'd say to students who do have a strong accent is like, it's not as difficult as you might think to improve it. I find that if you slow down and you start sort of like pronouncing every single sound in the word, um, you can improve the clarity and com- of your speech uh, quite quickly. Um, and there's quite a few techniques actually in, in the online course we have we go into a few a few different techniques to exactly address this problem of sort of like of of accent and of nerves and confidence building techniques which goes back to what we were saying before like you could be really good at speaking english with your friends but if your confidence is low in an exam setting then you really need to work on your confidence, which is questionable to an extent how much of a language skill that is, you know. Um, there's, and obviously, there's some overlap there. But, yeah, like once you start digging into it, like a lot of topics, it quickly expands and it can, be, it can become quite overwhelming for a lot of students. Yeah, I can imagine that. Mm. But, but in general, the advice of do more of it... it, it applies to all of the the skills here mm. um, what what can we say about the listening so what, how is that uh, tested is there some kind of multiple choice or yeah yeah the, the listening um you go in there and you've well it depends if you're doing it on the computer or if you're doing it with the you know pen and paper and the marking sheet and stuff like that but and the IELTS listening, it's quite unique because they'll only play the recording once. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you really got to pay attention. And this goes back to what we've said numerous times now. It's like an exam skill. Yeah. So you listen and there's like different sections and different skills. So in some of them, you've got to complete uh, the sentence. Some of them, it's multiple choice. Uh, some of it, you got to like label a diagram. There's all these kind of different sections and it gets progressively harder, but you've got to really like focus 
And uh, just a tip here for anybody who's considering it, if you can go to an exam center that uses headphones, it's going to work in your advantage, to, to your advantage. Because I've heard about students going there and the exam center was next to a highway and it's crucial points. A lorry has just stormed past and it's like, <laughs> just at the exact point where you're like listening for that information. Um, so yeah, and it is, it is quite exhausting, you know? Um, so this is where it comes back to training and doing the practice exams, as I mentioned before, getting familiar. Yeah. And also to improve on this, like I said before, you need to do practice exams, but don't mindlessly do exam after exam. Do maybe one or two exams and then isolate, identify and isolate the area where you're losing points on. And then just focus on that area. And, and this way, you're going to improve your score faster rather than doing test after test after test. If you're just doing a section, multiple choice section, after, you know, repeatedly, then you'll quickly bring your skills in that area up to scratch and hopefully stop losing points in that, in that area. Yeah, and obviously listening is one of the trickiest uh, skills to learn for any uh, language or any language learner mm -hmm. um, in that people speak really fast and it's mm -hmm. hard to kind of sometimes hear where the first word end, uh, starts and, or ends and the second word starts again. Exactly, yeah. Ex what, do you, what do you suggest for people to, I guess, you, you know, you can do the practice exams and, and, and improve your listening at the same time as improving your exam technique. But are there anything that people can do outside uh, other than obviously just getting a lot of, uh, you know, input, just having watching or listening to a lot of English programs? But is there anything they can do with sort of an active, active learning? That mm, great point. Great point. Um, I think transcribing is a fantastic way because you're going to learn some new vocabulary. You're going to learn it perfect firsthand, you know, uh, all the structures, and you're going to learn the perfect pronunciation at the same time. And you're going to get a very useful skill of being able to sort of like focus and write at the same time which is very handy when we're talking about the IELTS exam. So I think that's a really sort of like powerful technique to get your exam skills. Um, and also you're going to boost your vocabulary, probably going to increase your, your, your grammar skills and learn your vocabulary, but learn it with the correct pronunciation first time. Um, also, like you've just mentioned, connected speech. If you can spend a little bit of time just dissecting the English language and just learning where these connected parts, um, which words get pushed together, which words remain separately. You know, if you can get used to this, um, and this is another thing that transcribing will help you with, um, but this will also help you. And also, um, in just going back to the actual exam, that there's going to be different accents on the exam. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and at some points, there's going to be different. Uh, there's going to be a few people talking at the same time. So maybe they'll be arranging a meeting and they're quite sneaky. So they'll say something like, 
Okay, so let's arrange the meeting for Thursday at 3 p.m. Everybody agreed? Yes. So the novice student might write, ah, the meeting's at Thursday, 3 p.m., because it was so clear. And then the last second, they might just switch it, and they'll say something like, no, 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 actually, uh, Friday's better for me. Can everyone do Friday? Yes. You know, so it's switched to Friday, 3 p.m., or they'll say, oh, actually, tomorrow's better. Can everybody do tomorrow? 3 p.m. and they'll say yes. Um, so it's actually the meetings at Friday 3 p.m. But they never actually mentioned Friday 3 p.m. They'll just say tomorrow at the same time. Right. So there's kind of little tricks like that that you need to be aware of. And the answer might not be as glaringly obviously obvious as the exam writer wanted you to believe. Right. So that's another top tip for anyone. Yeah. A language exam is. Be a, a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes, and that you the first instinct might not always be the correct one. You want to test your theory and uh, and see what comes out of the whole conversation. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And kind of like go for the meaning of the of the, the sentence of the conversation rather than sort of like the explicit keywords. Because if you're just listening for keywords, you can get severely distracted and and end up in the wrong place. Yeah. But other than that, listen and, and, and just for the transcribing, would you mind just explaining what exactly you mean by that in case anyone's wondering? Do you mean you put on a recording, a TV program, or what would you do? Mm. And would you stop, stand and, uh, start and stop all the time or reduce the playback speed? Because obviously most people, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, I, I definitely can't transcribe in real time Mm. in normal uh, uh, speed of English mm. or Danish for that matter. <laughs> and that's even on the keyboard where I can type a lot faster than I can write by hand. But so just yeah. to give people the practical uh, right. to do that, because I'm sure everyone knows what transcribing is. It's just mm. to get the uh, practical. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, I can't, yeah. But what I recommend is that you find something First of all, you find material that you love. So if you love Formula One, try and find a podcast about Formula One because that's going to help you keep interest, uh, maintain your interest and you're more likely to do it more often, you know, rather than some random podcast. Yeah. Second, make sure that it's um, native English speaker level um, and make sure that if you can, I mean, it's not essential, but Ideally, maybe one or two speakers on there at the same time, so you can kind of get a variety. What is essential is a transcription. If you can find a podcast that has a uh, transcription with it, uh, BBC Six Minutes English is excellent because not only do they give you the transcript, but they also ask some comprehension questions at the end of it, and that's really useful. And then what I recommend the students do is get some headphones. Um, and it's better to do it with headphones because the speakers will, like the, those earplug ones, if you use those ones, because they directly um, sort of like excite or, or make the auditory nerves um, I'm not really explaining it well, but they kind of like stimulate the auditory nerves and that's what you want. And plus it's going to isolate the sound and just block off everything else so you can give it your full concentration. Yeah. And then listen for a few seconds, pause it, type it out or write it, um, 
I'll write it out pen and paper. But the key thing, I think, is to go slowly and make sure you've got the transcription there so you can compare and contrast afterwards. And once again, you might find that maybe the modal verbs is where you are making errors. So you can start paying more attention and just review it. And it's like, okay, I lost, I would have lost points at this point because it's modal verbs. So. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the, the most practical way. And I also think there's a site called Lyrics Training where you can do something similar, but with music. Um, I, yeah. And that's probably more entertaining than doing it with uh, a podcast. Um, but you must be aware that singers will bend the language. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, you know, 30 minutes on lyrics training is still better than just passively watching some videos or some cat videos on YouTube, for example. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that for sure. Uh, I know we're running a little bit uh, long on time here, but just for for completion, the last one is reading. Right. Um, and again, you know, reading more would definitely help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Without saying. But are there any, do you have any specific tips for, for people who might not be too, uh, very strong in reading? Um, well, it's broadly the same as, uh, as as listening, you know, increase the exposure to the language, obviously increase your reading, um, do practice tests, get familiar with the exam, identify where you're losing points, focus on those on those on those areas. Um, become familiar with active reading where you're just not where instead of just sort of like um you know, just chilling and glancing over it. Um, active reading is where you're sort of like inside the text, you're highlighting it, you're underlining it, you're circling words. And this is where a Kindle is really useful because you can just tap the word on your Kindle and boom, you've got the, you've got the Cambridge uh, Dictionary definition there. Yeah. And that's, that is fantastic, you know? Um, so just in a, in a nutshell, it's broadly similar to the to the listening. Um, but one thing that I found really useful is if you can find a book that's a turn pager, and this really helps with the question of immersion. If you can get one of those books that's really addictive, <laughs> and you just keep on reading and reading and reading, you know, it's sunny, it's a beautiful day outside, but you're in your apartment just reading a book because you're addicted. You know, that's the that's the kind of uh, material and sort of like that's the kind of stuff that you want because uh, it's just going to pull you in and, and keep you there, and you're going to be learning at the same time. How so, do you know you are improving in in reading? Mm, that's a good um, good question. I mean, if you're doing the practice test, you're going to be getting your your exam score, but also um, you can check your reading speed because reading speed is an important um, metric to pay attention to. And it goes back to what we were saying before, like exam skills and English skills. Like reading English is one thing, but reading a whole um, block of text for the reading exam or multiple blocks of tests in 40 minutes or an hour. Um, that's a whole new skill. Um, so we need to learn new skills such as skimming, scanning, um, and all of this sort of like new exam skills. But 
what was your your question was how do we know we're improving well yeah i'd go for reading speed and you can do the comprehension tests and speed reading tests and all of those um i think and if you are just monitoring it you'll be aware of your improvement i'm actually working now um on improving my speed reading skills and just as a side note um the course that i'm following suggest that I work on my memory skills first and build my memory skills and then I've got a sort of like a solid base from which to put all the knowledge that I'm quickly acquiring from speed reading I can put it into this newly strengthened and improved memory bank so yeah um I think there's a few different ways to improve but broadly speaking there's um those techniques which I mentioned just do it uh, as well and i suppose that if you're kind of looking to improve then if you understand 90 percent of the text and looking up those words every other sentence that you miss will eventually add to your own vocabulary and you should be able to Mm, absolutely yeah this just reminded me of another point actually that um say if you studied i don't know um medicine Uh, four years at university and your passion is maybe sports and cricket or whatever then maybe maybe you're going to have a weak spot when it comes to talking about education or maybe you're going to have a weak spot about technology so um be um this will also help you with your essay writing preparation but you can also broaden the material that you're reading right can it so, be sorry? Can it be about anything in the test? Yes. Like a list of categories they'll choose from? Um, there's about 12 topics. There's like education, society, environment. And um, there's, there's quite a few different topics. And if a student knows, maybe the problem, probably a student will know two or three topics inside out, yeah. have a lot of knowledge about it, a lot of vocabulary, but maybe business, for example, is a topic that they're not so familiar with and the vocabulary is not up to scratch. So it's worthwhile having a look at all the different task two questions and maybe just planning essays. And if you find that you're, you're running thin on ideas or vocabulary for these topics, then start jumping into maybe bbc.co.uk or guardian.com and start reading about these topics and this and actively reading. So copy pasting vocabulary, copy pasting terms, specialist terms. And yeah, it's basically the same philosophy as we've been saying throughout the interview, sort of like find your weaknesses and identify them and improve on, on those specific ones to just bring everything up to a high level. Right. And, uh, or, or you can just learn about one topic and hope you get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, IELTS Casino. <laughs> yeah. no, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> because we had a similar uh, structure, the high school exams here in Denmark. And I remember a lot of people would have studied, I don't know, maybe 80% of the topics. So there might, might have been 20 different topics. So many people would have studied 16, 18 hoping that they didn't pick the one study. Um, so that's obviously a terrible idea that <laughs> in fairly a disappointment but, um, but yeah I think that that covers kind of the and, and the, 
what I like about this is also that this advice is, yeah, it's very applicable to the IELTS and, and other language tests. But what you're doing is you're essentially improving your English. So mm -hmm. you can use that for anything, whether you're taking a test or not. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I really like that kind of thorough um, in going through all the areas one by one. That's not something I've done before. But mm -hmm. at the, in conclusion, just do more of all the things. Be sure to read the specifications. Make sure you're careful with what they ask and, and what kind of uh, information is leaked in the, in, in, in the different media, whether they're trying to set you up for a trap or not. <laughs> and, um, and get help. I think that's a big, big one as well. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue into the uh, outro here. So if people want help with their ILTS exam, so they can come to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The important thing that you said there, you kind of hit the nail on the head is sort of like get help, yeah. you know, because a lot of students and I've been guilty of myself. Uh, I've been guilty of this myself a few times, sort of like this independent warrior, lone wolf syndrome, which isn't like masculine. It's not, it's not effective. Um, uh, so yeah, it's get get help and reach out and send emails, ask questions. And at the uh, my site ieltspodcast.com, you know, I encourage students to send in emails and ask us questions. Um, and just remember, you, you're not alone doing this. You know, fair enough, you might be the only person in your village preparing for the exam, but there's thousands and thousands of people every day preparing for the exam. You know, and if you send out an email, we can give you some guidance. We can help you. Also, you can send us your essay. We've got an essay correction service as well, which is like 24-hour turnaround time. We've got ex-IELTS examiners correcting the essays. And, of course, we've got the online course of Jump to a Band 7 or It's Free. Um, online IELTS course covering the speaking, the reading, and the uh, writing, of course. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Go there, yeah. And get some help. Yeah, I think getting help is, is not only because it's, uh, you know, we, you don't want to be alone. In it. It's also just the most effective way that I know of to improve language skills. Mm -hmm. Possibly any skill is, is to get instant direct feedback from somebody who knows a little bit more than you do or a lot more in some cases. So okay. that's, that's why I think that's also a general recommendation for the podcast. Pretty much every episode I think we, we talk about tutoring in one way or another because it's just such a... A lot of people have this idea of tutoring that it's only in evening school and it's very expensive and it's very inconvenient. But mm -hmm. now you can get... And this goes for, for exam preparation as well. You can you can find people who have experience with that and get private lessons with them on italki or other place like your site. And you just get that direct feedback convenient online for very affordable uh, amounts of money compared to... You know, attending a, a full evening class of English or other languages. Absolutely. Absolutely. Education has been completely transformed in the last 10 years. You know, the rise of these services, like my own on, online course and uh, italki and stuff like that. And I'm also like getting help, you know, and I think what's beautiful about it is sort of that you can tailor it as well to your needs. So if, if only the only thing you want to do is improve your writing, then you just send essays. Yeah. You know, if the only thing you want to do is improve your speaking, then you get 
like one-on-one classes or, or you can do an online course or whatever, that you can really sort of like pick the, the area. Whereas 20 years ago, if you wanted to improve your English, maybe you'd, if you're lucky, you might have an English tutor in your, in your village or in your town, you know? Mm-hmm. And even then, you're going to be sort of like subject to what they want to do. But now it's just, it's so open. It's so it's such a good time to, to learn a language. And just one last thing, um, I was worried about losing my Spanish last year. So I got a Spanish tutor and Alejandro, and <laughs> that I really... I don't know, maybe I was a bit annoying for him, but I, really, <laughs> I, I asked Alejandro, I was like, okay, this is the format of the class, and I want you to ask me what I did well last week, what I did, what I did, um, what I did badly, and what are my goals for next week, and what I learned last week. And we just went through these questions, you know, and it was really good because I was reviewing my Spanish, he was noting down the mistakes, and as like learning in other areas as well. So I killed two birds with one stone, so to speak. Fantastic, yeah. And uh, for English as well, that, that that will be the same experience for most people is that you, the, the learning you do to prepare for the test is going to be with you afterwards. So you have a, a higher level of English too when you talk to people, when you apply for jobs or, or when you, uh, you know, just go out and socialize, you know, your English is going to be so much better because you put the effort into the test because at the end of the day yeah it's nice to have a great score on a test mm-hmm. ideally you want to have an english that is actually good like an english level that's actually good so you can use it mm-hmm. in professional and social situations absolutely yeah absolutely and this is why it kind of gets a bit disheartening when you see students just piling on like looking for ielts tips and tricks and I, mm, you know, if you just focused on your language skills, it's not only going to be beneficial for you in the future, as you just said, that you're going to be a better employee. You're going to be a better person. You can speak with more people. You're going to be able to help more people. And you do get this if you sort of like prepare effectively for the exam and not just focus on the, if you focus on improving your language skills and then your, your exam skills, you're going to be, you're going to come out better, but it's so prevalent that a lot of students, they just go, ah, 20 exam tips. Yeah. <laughs> and the last thing I'd say is that even if, like this episode obviously is very useful for people who are going for the IELTS test, but I would say also that if you're, if you don't need the test for anything and if you're just looking to improve your English, booking the test can be a very useful motivator. Mm. Obviously, that, that assumes you have the, the funds available to, to book a sort of expensive thing to do. But one of mm-hmm. my friends, uh, Gareth, he, he loves these tests as a sort of evidence of, of where he's gotten to in the language. Mm. He'll do these projects like on languages that he's pretty good at. He'll go for, let's say, he'll book the exam a year in advance and he knows that that year is then dedicated to bringing his language to the level he's going for. Mm-hmm. So that might be an option as well for people. I mean, it can never hurt to have a, a certified level mm-hmm. if it helps you stay on track and, and do a lot of consistent learning along the way. Then that could be a very powerful because it's such a specific goal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. End of the of the period. So that's also why I think that a lot of people do quite well in these tests because they they it's a very specific form of language learning, whereas 
I just want to speak some more Spanish to my mates. I mean, exactly. It's nice, but it's not measured in any way. Uh, Exactly. That's why that's the last uh, recommendation I I throw in there. Yeah. And the official exam is going to give you a a real thorough push because like chatting with your friends is one thing and, you know, fluent conversation is all good. Um, But the official exam is going to push you in area in areas that you easily neglect just by casual study, you know? And also, as you just mentioned, it's going to be um, a good sort of like uh, marker. So you can, you know, see your progression, see your improvement, and obviously as well, get it officially recognized. Yeah, that's that also, that's a nice thing to have as well, the, the, the victory, you know, <laughs> things and you can put it on your wall and stuff. You know, that, that, it counts for something. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I should get one for Spanish, actually, just to remind my family that I'm the only one who speaks foreign language. <laughs> yeah, I'm certified uh, in Spanish. Oh, by the way, did I tell you I've now got a certificate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the way, <laughs> just in case you didn't, understand, it didn't get it, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for your uh, very extensive uh, tour of the IELTS and, and also helping people to improve uh, their English that people will come over to you and and ask you some questions can you remind us just the the address again yeah um it's ieltspodcast.com and yeah uh thank you very much chris for having for having me uh i really enjoyed it Uh, it's been good fun and yeah thank you very much you're very welcome Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. I really appreciate having you here today. Just before you leave, I just want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, which is italki. Italki is a tutoring platform where you can find affordable tutors for every language in the world, pretty much. So get started today and get a free $10 credit when you book your first lesson. If you go to actualfluency.com forward slash italki, that's spelled I-T-A-L-K-I. So give it a go and feel how tutoring can really boost and enhance your language learning.